Oh, I thought that was going to be too tall. It's too high. Good morning, church. I'm always really grateful to be here with you guys. My name is Tracy, and I am a member here at Redeemer. Today we're going to be reading in Mark 1, 1 through 8. This is the ESV. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan, the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of God. Thank, Thank you, God. You all may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. Um, so glad that you guys have come and gathered uh, with us today. Uh, for those of you who I don't know, so I'm uh, one of the other pastors here. You met Ryan earlier. I'm, my name is Brian, so Ryan and Brian. We know that's not confusing at all. Uh, but really, you call us either Ryan or Brian, we'll answer. So, uh, But no, I, I, I'm so excited to have the privilege uh, of, of preaching from God's Word this morning. And so we are beginning, so last week we uh, landed the plane with Colossians. Um, we spent a, a good chunk of last semester going through this letter to Paul, and now we're going to be beginning uh, our Easter series. It's hard to believe that we're already in Easter. It feels like Christmas just ended. Um, but we are going to be beginning our Easter series, and we're actually going to be looking uh, at the first couple of chapters, uh, some passages from the first couple of chapters of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, and, and the theme of our sermon series is repent and believe. Um, right out of the gate, the book of Mark uh, kind of sets the tone for where he's going. And really the biggest themes that, um, we're gonna, that you can pull from this gospel, and particularly uh, the, the text that we're going to be looking over the next eight weeks, is this theme of repent and believe. And so it, this, this, this series will have a little bit different flavor uh, than it was in Colossians as when we go through the, each of these texts and, and each of these verses in Mark, there's going to be so much, as Ryan said earlier, there might be so much meat left on the bones um, because we're, we're wanting to take our, our, this, this next eight weeks is really focus on this idea of what does it mean to be a people uh, who live in repentance and a people who um, walk in faith and believe in Jesus. And so that's going to be kind of the angle we're going to be looking at um, in the next, uh, during our series in Mark. But um, we're excited just to see how the Lord is going to use his word uh, to continue to just to help us know him more. And so uh, anyway, so if you're not already there, Mark chapter one is where we're going to be. Um, some of you guys growing up, uh, may, I don't know if this is still the case anymore for students, but some of you uh, growing up, you may have remembered like in your math books that at the back of the math book, they actually had the answers. And so like, so it was like usually the odd, it wasn't every question, but it was like every odd question, they would have the answers to the book. And is anyone, is that anyone's experience in here? Okay. All right. Let's, all right. Confession. How many of you guys actually looked in there all the time for answers? Awesome. How many of you guys are math people and actually didn't want to do that because you like math? Ah, uh, sinners. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, I mean, not really, but anyways. Uh, so yeah, so I was one of those who was, was always not really 
caring to try to solve the problem. I tried. I gave it my best shot. Um, but in actuality, it was so much more easier to look in the back of the answer, of the book of the four, the answers. And even back then, I was in elementary when I really first saw that. Actually, it was one of my friends who told me, hey, look in the back of the book for answers. Like, what? That's there? They do that? Uh, I, I, but for, for, it was even like dawned on me back then, like, why would they do this? Like, and teacher, our teachers were typically, for the most part, smart. They wouldn't assign us the problems that had the answers in it. But still, it was a bit revealing. Uh, it, there were times where they did give us those, uh, those, uh, those problems that we had to solve them. And, um, and typically, good teachers, they made us do a show of work. But it, it was weird to me, though, that they would show the answers uh, to, to a bunch of kids who would obviously want to take advantage of that. But it, it dawned on me actually later in life why they actually would do that. Why textbooks would actually give you the answer to the problems um, that you're supposed to be solving in class. And it really, what it is, it's knowing the end um, helps the direction to find the solution. So knowing the end, knowing the answer was actually meant to be a guide. It was meant to be a help. It was meant to be a service uh, to try and solve the problem. Uh, and it was, it was meant to help us see, was I on the right track with problem? Does one plus one really equal 11? Oh, no, it's two. Okay. Um, right? It, it was meant to be a guide. It was meant to help. And so as we begin diving into Mark, uh, I want to give us the answer to where we're going today. As we begin this opening, this letter, and really Mark is going to set the, set the tone in his first few verses for the rest of the letter. But I want, I want to show my cards. I want to show the answer. I want you to look in the back of the book of this sermon. I'm going to tell you exactly where we're going to be going today as we open up these first few verses. The main point, the, the, the thing that I want us to walk away is that repentance is not only a necessary thing for the Christian life, but it is actually a good gift from God. Repentance is a good gift from God. Now, I know the word repentance for a lot of you in here carries all kinds of baggage. It might carry all kinds of maybe positive connotations, maybe negative connotations. Uh, I know for, for some of you guys, it might be like hearing the word moist. Um, when, whenever you like, for me, whenever we watch the Great British Baking Show and Polly Hollywood's like, oh, that's a moist bake. Um, I can't possibly think you're talking about a good thing, right? That's just, that's just one of those words. And some of you guys right now are like, did he just cuss from stage? Uh, right? So, so some of you, that, that's, the, that's the kind of the association and connotations when you hear the word repentance. It's this kind of has a lot of baggage and weight. For some of you, you might have a, an image of an angry preacher just always pounding on the pulpit and just saying, repent and believe, never under, explaining what that means. And thus, maybe even making you think that, oh, God is just always angry at me all the time. Or for some of us, the, the, the word repentance, and actually this is actually might even be a, this isn't necessarily a bad, um, uh, a bad association, but some of you, I mean, repentance in and of itself is a confrontational word. Um, so when we, when we hear the word repentance, we might cringe a little bit and get a little uncomfortable because if we really walk in a life of repentance, if we really believe it, it's going to confront some things in us that we may not want to confront. There might be some things within us that, that we don't want to deal with. And repentance is this thing that kind of starts having to pull us in that direction that we don't necessarily want to walk in. And, and, and so, but, so whatever your association is with the word, my, my hope for us today is to see that repentance is a good thing. And the way Mark is going to frame it, it's actually an invitation. It's an invitation from God to experience more of his goodness through his son, Jesus. And so... 
Mark is going to give us this answer of, of why is repentance a good thing? Why is this actually an invitation and not necessarily this, this thing that has all kinds of baggage and maybe for some of you uh, uh, negative connotations? And so Mark begins his gospel. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so the word gospel here means good news. And so Mark starts off with this proclamation of good news. And the good news that Mark is, is, is announcing is the coming of the Messiah. And, and this coming of the Messiah, this coming of Jesus the Savior, is actually rooted in the Old Testament. Uh, we'll read it in just a second. But verses 2 and 3 are all excerpts from Three different Old Testament texts. Uh, you have a little bit of Exodus in there. You have a, some words from Malachi. You have also Isaiah. And so this, this proclamation of the gospel, the good news of the coming of Jesus to deal with all of mankind's sin is something that has always been on the heart of God. Right? It is on, it's been on God's heart to always deal with mankind's sin. And ultimately, he was going to be using Jesus uh, to do that. But, but the book starts with this announcement that something great is coming. Something marvelous is about to happen. And, and so let's go ahead and read verses um, 1 through 6 again. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness Prepare, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt uh, around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. All right, so for our next potluck, that's what we're going to have. Here we go. We're going to follow John's suit. Now, um, so, so you hear in the, the book begins with this proclamation of the coming Messiah. And how that proclamation was going to happen was through John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, his role was to prepare people for the coming of Jesus. He was not the point. Right? Even in those Old Testament texts, it says that there's going to be one who's going to come to prepare the way. He was going to come prepare the way. And really what that word prepare the way means is to make ready. And so John the Baptist's role was to point people to this coming Messiah and not to himself. He even says later in, in, in one of the other Gospels that I, about himself that I must decrease and he must increase, talking about Jesus, this coming Messiah. And his message wasn't just, hey guys, he's coming. Hey guys, here's the Messiah. He, come on. No, but rather his message actually had something attached to it. It was repent for the forgiveness of your sins. Repent, confess your sins, for, and you will receive forgiveness. And what we see is the people who heard this all throughout the Judea, all throughout Jerusalem, people were coming, confessing their sins, and John was baptizing them. And John's baptism, his whole point of the baptism was never to point to himself, right? Which was kind of odd, seeing a guy who was eating locusts and, and like wearing some crazy things. You'd think that he's trying to draw attention to himself, but not really, right? Um, he was, his job was to ultimately point people to Jesus, to, to, to this coming Messiah. And he's ultimately pointing to them uh, the, the, the promise. Yeah, so ultimately John's message was pointing to the person of Jesus. And, and, and the promise for those coming, for the one coming, 
and, and then for them to confess their sins, that they would receive forgiveness. They were, and here's the thing, that same promise that they were, um, that people, that was drawing people out to the wilderness is the same one that you and I get to participate in today. Um, they were anticipating, the people coming to John in the wilderness were anticipating the finished work of Christ, and you and I get to live in the reality of it. We live in the reality of the finished work of Christ. And what does it look like for us to participate in this promise that Mark is talking about and that John was proclaiming? Repent. Confession of sins. Participating in the finished work of Christ looks like belief and repentance. Repent and believe. So what exactly is repentance? And it's a word that, like I said, we we talked already about the connotations, but what exactly does it mean for for someone to repent? What does repentance actually mean? So it really... As the word is used in the text, it just simply means a changing uh, of mind. It means changing your mind or turning around. Kind of one of the examples I would see is as a little kid, whenever they touch a hot stove, most of the times, nine times out of ten, they're not going to like like keep it there, right? They're going to recoil and jump back, right? The, 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 the sensation of the hot stove is causing, oh, wait, maybe this isn't a good thing for me to touch. Maybe this isn't, isn't a good thing for me to do. Or for some of you, maybe this example will can hit better if you are a fan of rom-coms. Um, some of you guys were watching The Holiday over the Christmas break, right? I mean, have y'all, y'all seen, maybe some of y'all have seen The Holiday, Cameron Diaz, Jack Black. Um, at the end of the movie, she thinks she loves Mr. British Fancy Pants, um, but she's like, no, it's just not going to work. I live in America. He lives there. But then she has this realization that, wait, I do love this guy. So she has the taxi driver on the snowy. She's about to head to the airport, and she has him turn around so she can go tell British Fancy Pants, I really do love you. Right? It's this changing of mind. It's this turning around. So what repentance is, it's this changing mind. It's this turning around of, of what we thought was right, what we thought was good, what we thought we should be doing, but rather, no, it's this other thing. It's this turning around. And so repentance is a turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. It's a turning from our sin and turning to Jesus. It's an acknowledgement that we are broken. It's an acknowledgement that there is something, there's a way about my life that I want to walk in that seems natural and good, but is actually in direct opposition to how Jesus would have me walk, how Jesus would have me live. It's, it's, this, it's this changing of mind. And repentance is not meant to just be this religious duty thing that we do to avoid consequences, but rather it's the way in which we actually get to abide and know Jesus more. Tim Keller, he, he, he actually has a two, two categories of how we can think about repentance. He, thinks that, he says that there's a religious way in which we will view repentance. And a lot of times, people will have a, the people who have a religious view of repentance um, typically think that I've got to make sure I, I repent of everything. And if I don't repent of everything, then, then I'm not going to be fully accepted for God. Or I need to repent, and so I don't have to have these consequences. It's, it's more of a duty uh, and, and just an obligation as opposed to something we actually walk in. And in, and in contrast, there's a gospel way. There's a gospel way. And here's what Tim Keller says about that. He says, in religion, the purpose of repentance is basically to keep God happy so he will continue to bless you and answer your prayers. This means that religious repentance is A, selfish, B, self-righteous, C, and bitter all the way to the bottom. But in the gospel, the purpose of repentance is to repeatedly tap into the joy of our union with Christ in order to weaken our need to do anything contrary to God's heart. 
And so it's this idea that repentance is this invitation. It's this invitation to our deeper union with Jesus. And the thing that we're repenting of is actually a hindrance to that. Our sin is a hindrance to deeper union with God. Our sin is a, is, a, is a wall that prevents us from knowing him more. And so when we repent and turn, change our mind, essentially we are wanting to walk in things that are going to provide deeper joy and trust in Jesus. Like I said, the, the, the nature of, of, of repentance is it's a very confrontational thing. In a world that celebrates human choice and autonomy that, that no one is ever wrong, Repentance is, 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 is just flies right in the face of that. But the repentance actually calls us to consider that maybe I might be wrong. It, it calls us to consider that maybe I don't know what's best for me. It, it, it's an incredibly countercultural thing, repentance is. And what's actually interesting about the text, so, so when we see that people were coming from Jerusalem and Judea to be baptized, Here's the thing about Jews. Uh, baptism was really this, this sign that, hey, I, whatever I'm being baptized into, I'm associating with this thing. Back then, Jews didn't typically get baptized. The people who got baptized were Gentiles converting to Judaism. There was no, like, rededication. Uh, I'm, I'm going to rededicate my life or anything like that. Uh, but there, there was none of that. It was more so just baptism was for Gentiles who were converting. And so the idea of a Jew back then, here, uh, that, that, that John was baptizing would have been unheard of. And essentially, it was a very countercultural thing. And, but essentially, what they were acknowledging was this message that John's proclaiming, that someone is to come who's going to deal with my sin. First off, for them to be baptized, they had to realize there's some sin in me, right? There is something lacking in me. There's something broken in me. And this message that John is talking about, that there's going to be one to come who's going to deal with my sin and bring forgiveness, I want that. And so he would baptize them. So if baptism was this acknowledgement that I'm, I believe and associate with the thing that you're saying. And so, and the crux of John's message was that it's not about me, but rather it's Jesus. John was not the object of their forgiveness. Right? John was not the one giving forgiveness. They were not needing to confess their sins to John. John was telling them about the one who they were needing to confess their sins to and the one who was going to be giving them the forgiveness that they would need. It was all about pointing to Jesus, but it was a very countercultural thing for them. Repentance, even for us, is a very countercultural thing. We don't like to be told we're wrong, right? We don't like to say, no, actually, you shouldn't be doing things like that. We don't, we don't like to be confronted with that. But the reality is, it's actually an invitation when we realize that maybe I don't have the best way. Maybe Jesus actually knows what he's doing. And so repentance is a good thing, not because of the sin. Not, not because we need to just be, oh, man, uh, but we, don't, we don't gloat in our sin. We don't gloat in our brokenness. We acknowledge it. We admit it. But repentance is a good thing because what we receive from it, which is forgiveness and acceptance. It, it, we, we really need to see, here's the thing. Um, in order for us to see the goodness of forgiveness, and this one I want to kind of tease out for a few minutes. In order for us to see the goodness of forgiveness, we need to talk about why it's even needed. We, we need to even talk about why, why do we even need to be Forgiven. Why do we even need to, to, to have this idea of repentance? Keep in mind, remember, 
the fact that Jesus came into the world telling them to repent and believe, um, John's message wasn't, wasn't about them confessing their sins to him. Now, they, they shared their sins, they confessed to him, but he wasn't the one that, they, that he, he didn't have the power to forgive them. It was God who was going to be doing the forgiven through Jesus. And so you think about this for a second. If, if, if God is the one who's granting forgiveness from our sins, then who is our sin, what is our sin really offense? Who is our sin really an offense to? God. Our sin, yes, our sin does have relational consequences. We do sin against one another. We do sin against ourselves. We do choose choices that have repercussions and, and ripple effects in our relationships, in our marriages, in with our kids, in our, with our coworkers, with our teachers, and all these different things. Yes, sin does have that kind of ripple effect, but we have to understand sin ultimately is an offense against God. Uh, Psalm 51 which is a, a, a somewhat well-known psalm, um, is, is a confession psalm from King David in the Old Testament. Uh, king David, for those of you who aren't familiar, he was a, one of the great kings. He was a man after God's own heart. Um, but he also did some pretty shady things. Uh, in this particular psalm, he's confessing uh, the, the, the murder that he had ordained because of uh, him sleeping with one of his soldiers' spouses. He was trying to cover it up. He was trying to, to just try to brush it aside. And what's interesting, not once in that psalm does he mention murder, Uriah, who was the guy he had killed, Bathsheba, adultery. Not once does he mention that this was the, who the sin was against. But rather he says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So who is the sin ultimately against? God. Let that sink for a second. Sin does have consequences in our relationships, yes. We do, if we have a sin against one another, yes, we do need to seek to be reconciled with one another. We do need to walk in those things, yes, but we have to understand that our sin is not against one another. It's ultimately against God. And so what, what, what drove Adam and Eve out of the garden when they f- brought sin into the world wasn't the fact that they just ate some fruit. It wasn't the fact that they just, just ate some things, but rather in the eating, they were essentially telling God, uh, I, I distrust you and that I can make a better God than you. That's the offense. When we sin, we are essentially telling God that I can make a better God than you. I I know what's best for me. You're wrong. I'm right. Do we see where the offense is? uh, This is supposed to be heavy. Feel this. Our offense is essentially saying, whenever we sin, we're essentially telling God that I don't trust you. I trust myself. And when we, some of us, um, we, 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 we will we'll kind of not dumb down our sin or not try to, I mean, we do water down our sin, but a lot of times um, what we might think is we will abide um, by our own definitions of what is good. That's our tendencies. We want to abide by our own definitions of what is good. And if we can make God fit somewhere in there and add some spiritual flavor, um, then we'll call it good. But if not, we're going to do our own thing. This, this is the nature of what sin is. And if we even take it a step further, so, so many, and these are non-Christians, many won't turn from their sin because they don't even have a category for it. Non, 
and I think this is probably not news to us, but we, we can't put the expectation of, of non-Christians, um, not, uh, non-believers to know what sin is. Right? They may know it because they heard the word, but, but non-Christians don't have a category for sin. So they're going to do what they want. Right? But I think the thing that's scary is that many people who call themselves Christians, many who say would acknowledge that I do belong to Christ, um, many people uh, will still have this view of God that is transactional. They'll still look to themselves, as long as I do good, as long as I do the right things, as long as I don't cuss, as long as I don't drink too much, as long as I don't do yada, 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 as long as I don't do these things, then God and I are good. God and I are good. The problem with that is that you are still looking to yourself to be made right. You're still looking to your own works. You're still looking to what I can do, what I can contribute to to, to being made right with God. The view of God is transactional. And so whether you're just someone who's a flat-out non-believer, someone who claims the name of Christ but yet still looks to ourselves um, for justification and doesn't look to Jesus, um, whether we're an atheist or a hyper-religious person, any person who is not looking to Jesus, who doesn't see the need for repentance, who doesn't see the need to turn from themselves, um, the words from Jesus in Matthew 7 apply. Depart from me, I never knew you. And the result of this pride, the result of not seeing our need for Jesus, the result of not living a life um, and living a life in which we are trying to look to ourselves to be made right and justified, or looking to, or looking, or running in a direction that's opposite from how God. We don't care. But the, the result of that is an eternal separation and condemnation from God. That's the reality, and that's scary, and that is heavy. So the bad news is that where there is no repentance of sin, where there is no perceived need for Jesus. There is no forgiveness. And where there is no forgiveness, there is judgment and eternal separation from God. But, but, where there is repentance, where there is faith and need for Jesus, there is forgiveness. And where there is forgiveness, there is full and continual acceptance. This is what makes the confessing confessing of sins and forgiveness such good news. When we feel the weight of sin, when we feel the way that God is perfect and holy, and there is no sin in him, and when we realize that we are the ones who offended him, our sin is against him and him alone, we realize that ultimately there is nothing we can do on our own, in our own power, to be made right with God. But the good news that John is proclaiming and pointing to in the gospel is that guess what? God made a way. God made a way for us, our sin to be dealt with. God made a way. And it's ultimately through just acknowledging our need. And that's what repentance is, is acknowledging our need and turning from our sin and looking to Jesus. And God made a way. This is why forgiveness is such good news. This is why, like, it's easy for us to gloss over a text like this that we've read for so many times and miss the, the depth and goodness of forgiveness. The, and the, like the fullest extent of forgiveness is this idea that you and I like, are made right with God. And his sin, when we, when we repent of our sin, he doesn't hold it against us anymore. 
Jesus' first words in the gospel of Mark, you look in Mark uh, verses 15, so just a few verses down. Jesus says, uh, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is Jesus' first words in the gospel of Mark. What is he getting at in this? What is he getting at in this? The reality is, it was only God who could fully deal with our sins. Only God could be the one who could atone and fix our sins. And how was he going to do that? He was going to send his son, Jesus, who is also fully God. He was going to send Jesus. And the good news is that Jesus came and lived the perfect life, the life that we could not live, died on the cross for our sins, and then rose again, showing that he defeated death and sin, that he really can have the power and authority to forgive our sins. And that when we believe in him, when we put our faith and trust in him, we are fully reconciled back into God's presence. And what does faith, what is, what is a step, what is an aspect of faith? It's a repentance. It's a turning. And, and so, so faith and repentance go hand in hand. They're, 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 they go together. And when we see our need for Jesus, um, our response is of repentance. And when we repent, when we turn from our sins, when we realize that, no, God, your ways are better, when we return, we are met with forgiveness. And forgiveness, hear me say this, is not just a, okay, yeah, 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 you're forgiven. It is a full embracement. When we are in Christ, it's full embracement. Our sin is no longer held against us, past, present, future. Like we've been talking about in Colossians, if we are in Christ, you are holy, chosen, and beloved. This is true of you if you are in Christ, right? Our sins are totally wiped away, totally dealt with. And, and, and the love that God shows us is uh, unconditional. This is what for the fullest extent of forgiveness is. It's this full welcoming into God's family. It's this full welcoming into God's family, and how can we be sure of, of this full acceptance into God's uh, family? How can we be sure of this? How can we be uh, positive? Well, you look in verse 8. Um, John says that I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Most of us in here probably at some point in our lives have done a cannonball, right? Um, we're coming up on summer. It's about it's, about, it's almost cannonball season. Um, uh, that's a thing, right? Uh, no, but whenever we do a cannonball, I mean, you're, you're going to have a hard time not to be fully immer uh, submerged, right? You're, I mean, when you do a cannonball, you're going all the way under. There's not going to be a single part of you that is dry. You're going to be completely wet, completely immersed. And so the word that John uses here for baptism is this idea that you will be completely immersed. You'll be, you'll be, not a single part of you, not a single part of you will be left unchanged. And so when he says that you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit, he means that if you, whenever uh, we put our faith in Christ, Jesus will give us his Holy Spirit and every single part of us is now uh, affected by the Spirit. All of us are now in the Spirit. And, and Paul says in Ephesians that, that if, if we are in Christ, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit is the sign of our faith. And when we see the role of the Holy Spirit more and more, ultimately the role of the Holy Spirit in our life is to elevate Jesus, is to point us to Jesus. And a, one way in which he 
points us back to Jesus is that he'll show us our sin. You look in John 16, that's what he says. The whole the role of the Holy Spirit will, will point us to all truth. It will convict us of our sin. And here's the thing. Conviction is not a bad thing. Conviction is actually an invitation to repentance. Repentance is an excuse to go to Jesus. And that's what we need. So, so, so when, when the Holy Spirit is active in us, he will show us our sin. He will show us areas we need to confess. But him showing and illuminating our brokenness isn't him saying, I can't believe you did that thing again. But rather, it's him showing you the things that is inhibiting you from knowing Christ more. It's an invitation. Conviction is an invitation to, 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 to live out the gospel in our daily life. So, so, so I want us to see that repentance is a good thing. Repentance is a good thing. It's, it's a gift from God to walk in his presence more. It's not meant to be this, uh, I mean, it is a convicting thing. It should, like said, when we feel the conviction of our sin, like, like that, that, that is the Holy Spirit. But we don't stop that. We get, to, we get to participate in our gospel identity by going to God with our struggle and our brokenness, knowing full well, because if we're in Christ, he's going to forgive us and not hold us in against us. This is a quote we've, we've shared before. And so I love it because I think it, it really captures what we're talking about. Uh, it, there's a pastor named Jack Miller, and he says this, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine. And you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. So, so here's what this means. Here's what I want us to think about. If this is true, for the, and I'm talking specifically now to Christians. If we are in Christ, you are free to peel back the onion of how deep your sin goes. You are free to peel that onion. Because sin has ripple effects, does it not? when we realize we've struggled in one area, we realize it can kind of like, oh wait, it kind of affects this area. Or maybe it can cause some pride. Like, you are free to peel back the onion and see the depths of your sin, knowing full well you are still fully accepted in Christ. You are free to confess. You are free to bring to light your sin because ultimately that does not change your status before God. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are holy, chosen, and beloved. So you are free to confess just how broken you are. Relax. You don't have to put on this face anymore. And believe me, I am preaching to myself right now. I am absolutely preaching to myself right now because I am so prone to self-justify. I am so prone to minimize my sin. I am so prone just to pretend things aren't as bad as they are. But when we do that, we're actually missing out on the opportunity to experience the depths of God's grace because when we ultimately see the brokenness and how broken and dark our hearts are and the fact that God still loves us in the midst of it, we see the depths of his grace even more. We see the depths of his grace even more. So you are free to confess you are free to peel back the onion. You are free to, to follow that rabbit trail of just how far your sin goes. Knowing that no matter how far it goes, it is never beyond the cross. You can never outsin the cross. So this message that John is proclaiming, this good news of, of repent for the forgiveness of sins is an invitation for us to see the goodness of Jesus and ultimately to walk in it by, by confessing, 
we walk in our faith by confessing. We live a life of repentance. This is hard. I'm not going to pretend to say like, because the reality is we know our sin. We know the consequences. We know the ripple effects it can have. But if we trust that God is for our good, we'll go down that rabbit trail and it'll get messy. It will get messy. That there will be things that will come to the light you probably didn't want to come to the light. There will be things exposed that you didn't want exposed. But if we believe that God is for our good, if we are in Christ and, and God is ultimately trying to draw us closer to him, no matter what is exposed, no matter what is revealed, if you're in Christ, you are holy, chosen, and beloved. That does not change. That does not change. And ultimately, it is the Spirit who gives us the power to walk in repentance. When things get hard, when things get messy, he's the one who gives us the power to keep going. Because ultimately, who's he pointing us to? Not ourselves, but to who? Jesus. Do you see how repentance is a good thing. I didn't say it was an easy thing. I, I didn't say that repentance is this, oh, we can just repent and everything. It's a hard thing because if we're honest with ourselves, we'll see the depths of our own brokenness. But what that should also do, what that should do all the more, it should not condemn us, but rather invite us to lean on Jesus more. This is what we get to participate in. This is the depths of the gospel. This is, this is like... This invitation that Mark is giving us is this idea that we don't have to work so hard. We don't have to work so hard to try to be good. We don't have to work so hard to try to clean our lives up and have this projection to everyone else around us that we're okay. Mark opens his gospel by this saying, hey, you get to be broken. You get to be weak because the one who's coming is going to be strong for you. The one who the, many in the Old Testament were anticipating would, they would get to see the day. The one who the, the Old Testament scriptures point to, the one is coming who will be strong for you. He will deal for your sins because you can't deal with them on your own. And what this is, is an invitation to our, repentance is a good gift and it's a part of our abiding in Jesus because ultimately it's this acknowledgement that I need you. And we have a God who's so strong and so good and he's able to meet us in the weakness. We're gonna go to Tim Keller one more time. He says, in the gospel, the knowledge of our acceptance in Christ makes it easier to admit we are flawed because we know we won't be cast off if we confess the true depths of our sinfulness. Our hope is in Christ's righteousness, not our own. So it is not so traumatic to admit our weaknesses and lapses. But the more accepted and loved in the gospel we feel, the more and more often we will be repenting. Repentance is an invitation to experience the depths of God's grace. And so as we... Uh, end our time today, and band, you guys can go ahead and come on up. And as we get to participate um, in our, in, in our uh, faith through communion, the taking, partaking of the Lord's Supper is a reminder for us that we get to be a people who are repentant. And it's a reminder for us that not only are we a people who get to be repentant, but we are a people who have a Savior 
who dealt with our sin, a Savior who dealt with our brokenness. He spilled his blood. He broke his body so that we might have life. And so here's what I want to encourage us in this moment is um, be slow. If there is something that you need to confess, bring it to the Lord. I'll say this. If you need to come down here to the altar and confess, you are welcome to do that. If you just want to sit in your chair, this is a time for you to just reflect and think and repent. And peel, don't be afraid to peel the onion. I know it's going to hurt and sting. But the more that you peel, man, at the same time, what's happening at the same moment is that God's grace is just over on you. God is forgiving. God is loving you. God is helping you. He's not condemning you as you peel that onion. He is for you. So, 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 so take this time to, 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 to really reflect and think, man, where do I need to confess and bring to the Lord? And, and I'll say this too, for those of you who in here might not be Christians, who, who may not have placed faith in Christ, I, I would just ask you to consider, um, consider that maybe God is a better God than you. Maybe that Jesus offers something that this world can't offer. Jesus offers eternal life. Jesus offers a satisfying joy that nothing in this temporal world can provide. I would ask you to use the next moments to consider, consider Jesus. And if you have any questions, Ryan or myself, we'd love to, to talk to you. But if you're not a Christian, I would ask you to, to use this time to consider Jesus. But if you are, man, let's celebrate the fact that the, that. Christ has won. Christ died on the cross for our sins and we get to partake in his body. We get to partake uh, with the body of Christ knowing full well that we are accepted in him. So Jesus, thank you for your kindness and for your grace towards us. God, we, we know, Lord, that it is hard to be confronted with our sin. But Lord, I, my hope and prayer for all of us, God, is that you would help us see that it's okay. That God, you're actually inviting us into something um, that's better. You're inviting us into a deeper sense of your presence. You're inviting us into experience the depths of your grace even more, Lord. So Lord, I pray that this morning, God, for some of us in here, Lord, as you're stirring in the hearts of, of those who in here, Lord, I pray um, God, help us not ignore how the Spirit is working in us right now. Help us not ignore, Lord, how you might um, be wanting us to bring things and lay them before your feet. But God, my hope and my prayer is that as we do that, you would help us know that if we are in Christ, Lord, we are not condemned. Your, your conviction, Lord, is not your condemnation, Lord. You are actually inviting us into something. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us know that there is forgiveness, that you truly don't hold our sin against us anymore when we bring it to you. So, God, would you use this time? Would you draw our hearts? And, Lord, would you help us see our need for you on a daily basis?